0: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis with the Zelle app to box 13 at GreatDetectives.net. Or you can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank our latest Patreon supporter, Joel. Joel uh, supporting us now at the Detective Sergeant level. Uh, $7.14 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Joel. All right, well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men, the original air date, April 23rd, 1952, and the title is Food and War.
1: Fairbanks Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks.
2: The communist propaganda machine is busy the world over undermining and trying to destroy the power of democracy. Nothing must stand in its way. People, truth, decency, all must bow to it. This is well illustrated in a story you are about to hear. The details I learned while I was on an inspection tour for the offices of care in Rome. In it, I will assume the role of Special Agent Dick Brooks, a file case entitled food and war in which only the names and places are fictional. It was a beautiful Italian afternoon, one of those days when even a special agent takes time off just stand and look out of his open window. I'd been attached to the American Embassy for more than a year, and during this time I'd made many friends. I saw one of them on the street approaching the outer door to my office. Maria Rocco looked grave and determined. More so than any little girl of nine ought to look. Under her arms, she clutched a paper-wrapped package. She started up the steps and I went to open the door for her. Oh, Maria. Well, how's my little sweetheart?
3: No, sweetheart.
2: Oh, what's the matter, Maria? Something wrong at home? No. Well, you better sit down and tell me what's on your mind.
3: I come to say adieu.
2: Goodbye? Has Mama Rocco sold her rooming house?
3: No, but I say goodbye. I see. And I never speak to you again. Oh. So long I live, I never speak to an Americano. Oh, now, wait
2: a minute, wait a minute. You can't take it out on Uncle Sam just because you don't love me anymore.
3: I am sorry you teach me to speak English. I am sorry you buy me gifts.
2: Well, don't I get a chance to defend myself?
3: You give much pain to me, uh, Mama. I did? It was a big joco. when the packer come. Mama cried because she was so happy.
2: When what came, Maria?
3: We think there will be chocolate inside. Then the gioco. Here is the paco. Look.
2: Well, this is a United Nations food package.
3: See, open. It was empty. That was your country's gioco, senor. A food paco with nothing inside.
2: Oh, <laughs> it's just a mistake, Maria. I'll, I'll write them a letter and they'll send you another one right away.
3: It's no mistake. Everybody find the same thing. Empty parcels. Adios, senor.
2: Just a minute, Maria. Just
4: a minute.
3: Adios!
2: My first thought was that some clerk had stolen the contents of Mama Rocco's parcel and forwarded the empty tin. I thought I might get it replaced for her, so I called Alan Burns, head of the European Relief Program in Rome. talking this is brooks dick brooks
5: oh yes how are you
2: fine i was wondering if you could do me a favor a friend of mine got a food package this morning it was empty i'd like to have it replaced
5: another one huh?
2: what do you mean another one
5: whole shipment four thousand packages delivered empty been flooded with calls all day
2: well i don't wonder
5: abuse huh. i've had it in every dialect
2: were the packages empty when they arrived in rome
5: no idea post office knows nothing railroad knows nothing We'll investigate, of course.
2: Well, hold off till I see you. Sure, you coming down right away? Yeah, in about an hour. Got to patch up a quarrel with a little girlfriend.
5: Oh, well, good luck.
2: Well, maybe you can help me out. You know where I can pick up a fresh supply of bubble gum? Mama Rocco ran a little rooming house near San Silvestro Square. I'd stayed there till I got an apartment closer to my office. But I liked her cooking, so I was a frequent visitor. She was busy in the kitchen when I came in. She gave me a smile and a greeting when she saw me, but behind it I sensed a deep hurt.
6: Hello, Senor Brooks.
2: Hello, Mama Rocco. What are you making for supper? <laughs> Smells good.
6: Maria, she come to see you about the Paco?
2: Yes, Mama Rocco. Oh,
6: I tell her not to go.
2: Well, it's good she did.
6: they do things. To make fun. Non parlare, Maria. But, Mama, you say. I say only what the others say. They say the pacos are like all American promises empty. That sounds like
2: a sentence dictated by Moscow. Then
6: why do they send the empty pacos? This is not the first time.
2: Well, they were opened by thieves and the food taken out, Mama. You tell that to your friends.
6: But the newspapers say. Said... Maria. See, si, I. I will tell them, Senor. But you must prove it. Subito.
2: I will, Mama. Don't worry.
6: Bueno, Senor. If this happens again, your country will lose many friends.
2: On the way to Burns' office, I bought an Italian paper. The stories of the empty food packages were now front page news. What seemed to be a straight, hijacking theft was being treated like an international incident. The headlines hinted that we were sending the empty packages to serve our own propaganda ends. When I was admitted into Burns' office, I found copies of the party line papers spread out on his desk. Listen to this one. American gangsters are pranksters. Hmm. Certainly seems to be stirring up some violent reactions. On surface, it looks like a smartly engineered bit of thievery, but... I think there's more to it than that.
5: It's turned out to be good communist propaganda. Yeah, It's
2: almost as if they had the presses all set up knowing this was going to happen. Yeah, we're doing all we can to find out. I'll report in to my chief. He may want our office to take over.
5: I'll be tickled to death.
2: If we can prove the local communists engineered the whole thing, <laughs> their propaganda value will reverse itself. Show them up for what they are. Yeah. Steal food from their own people. Uh, where was this shipment loaded? New York. Okay. Contact New York and check to see if the packages had their full weight and when they were loaded on the ship. There'll be records of that. Then see if you can check the weight when they unloaded. La Lahar. Well, that'll give us something to go on. Right. Any way of identifying the contents of these packages? Sure, easy. Here. Hmm. They're all like this? Yeah. I think I'll go out and see if I can buy some. Buy them? Where? Same place you can buy a locomotive if you wanted one bad enough. On the Black Market. I went looking for tins of meatloaf, UN food pack brand. The Black Market in Rome operates on a 24-hour basis. The food section operates in the far end of San Silvestro Square, right near the church. And although it was 9 o'clock in the evening when I got there, the place was a beehive of activity. Strange contrast to the ever-present church bells in the background.
5: Ah, un americano. I know what you want. Cigarette, eh?
4: Every kind. No. Oh. Maybe uh, caviar? Coffee? See, si, coffee.
2: What kind you want? No, that's not what I'm looking for.
4: Hey, you come to look or to buy? Everybody comes to look. Pretty soon we make a rule, charge
2: admission. <laughs> no. Oh, I'm a customer, a cash customer.
4: What would you like to buy?
2: Uh, you know the food packages the UN people send over here?
4: Sure, good stuff.
2: They have a meatloaf they put out. I want six tins. Where can I get it?
4: Down the street, all you want.
7: Andiamo, andiamo.
2: Hey, just a minute, just a
7: minute. What? What do you want? You're no customer.
2: I want you to buy six tins for me. Ah, oh, it'll cost you 500 lire. Okay.
4: In advance. to take in advance.
2: In a few minutes, he had completed the transaction and was cutting his way back to me. I saw a heavy-set man stop him. They talked a short while, then Masetto brought the tins of food over to him.
4: Here you are, senor. Oh,
2: thanks. Mila lire for the meat, senor. How would you like to make another five hundred? Eh? What do I have to do? To answer a few questions? Oh, you know I got answers. I'll take a chance. You
4: know, for, uh, one thousand lire, I know much more. All right. Walk to the church i meet you there in a few minutes.
2: All right, senor. I cannot stay long. How many tins like these do they have for sale? Thousands. Another kind, too. Cheese, sukeru. Um, where do you get them? Cook a piece. I never see so many on the market. Is each man selling for himself? No, senor. They work for someone else. Who? The man I talked to. What's his name? Paroli. Pietro Paroli. Is he here on the black market all the time? You ask too many questions for so small a price. What other kind of work does he do? He kills people who talk too much. Hmm. That's his real name, Pietro Paroli?
5: Uh, for only five lire, I tell you something about yourself. About me? See, si. Something you should know. Paroli knows you are a government man. Well, he says someday he has to kill you.
2: I went to the main police headquarters and asked for all the information I could get on Pietro Paroli. I got plenty. Pietro Paroli, fascist, black marketeer, communist, black marketeer. The record said in part. I asked for a 24-hour watch on Paroli, and the commandant said he would do it immediately. Next morning, I showed up at Burns' office with the six little tins of food in a paper sack. Yeah, that's them all right. Yeah. Got any other tins belonging to the same lot?
5: Uh, on the warehouse. That's a mare mailed in.
2: Hmm, let's check these against them.
5: Come on. I uh, got that information from New York for you.
2: Packages weighed out all right?
5: And reached La Havre okay. I thought so. Yeah. things are hard to open sometimes. All right. Uh, what number do you have on the bottom of your tin?
2: 17-9882. Check. Same shipment. Next bunch is due in ten days, you say, huh?
5: Well, no such thing as a regular rail schedule in Italy. You know.
2: Do you know the route the shipment will take?
5: New York to La Havre, across France
2: to Turin and down to Rome. Freighter express? Express, why do you ask? I'm planning a little trip in about ten days from La Havre to Turin to Rome. By express. The newspapers kept up their howl about the empty food packages. The communist press wouldn't let it die. That's their propaganda technique. Seize on one little thing and keep on ramming it down the reader's throat, always fanning a resentment until it hits a peak. We were at the peak now, and I had no trouble getting a travel permit and the necessary authorization from my chief for a trip to La Havre and back. That night, I went down to see Mamma Rocco. Maria had evidently gotten over her mad.
3: Signor Brooks, my sweetheart.
2: Oh, a little more reserve, Maria. Such enthusiasm can get you into trouble, you know.
6: Come, come see Mama. What is that noise, Maria? Look, see who's here? Oh, Senor Brooks. Is it not good he came?
2: Maria's grown up. I honestly think she washed her neck today, you
6: know. Andiamo. <laughs> I'll show you what I make in school today. Sure. Maria. See, si, Mama. You must not stay here anymore. Upstairs, to bed. But Mama. This very minute.
2: Oh, let us stay for a while.
6: No, Senor. Mama. Go to your room.
3: But just good night.
6: I count three. Uno, due, tre. Buenas noches, Maria. Signor, <laughs> please do not come here anymore.
2: But, Mama Rocco, why?
6: Americanos are not welcome in our house today, Signor.
2: That's not your real reason, Mama. What is it?
6: I, I would not want anything to happen to you. They were here yesterday. They asked about you. Parole? Please go.
2: All right, Mama. Arrivederci. Yeah? I'll take care of myself. In the next few days, I became convinced of two things. One, that Paroli or someone equally interested had put a shadow on me. Two, that the same thing would be tried on the next shipment of food packages. My chief agreed with me, and between the two of us, we set up a pretty comprehensive operation. The ship was due in La Havre in four days. My shadow tailed along after me when I went to have a final word with Burns.
5: Oh, hi, Brooks. Just got a message from your chief. You're uh, not going to like
2: it. Well, let me sit down first. You better. The detectives following Paroli lost him. Well, that's not too surprising. I've got a hunch I'll meet up with him in the next week or so.
5: Well, you're pretty confident.
2: Any way you look at it. From a money point of view, it's a terrific deal for Paroli. From the communist angle, it's even better. Yeah.
5: Figured out how you're going to nab it?
2: Set up very prettily, if I say so myself. I'm leaving for La Havre tonight. I'll be there when the ship docks. From there, if everything's all right, I'm going to ride the shipment back to Rome. You going it alone? Uh, Not exactly. The French authorities will see that the train gets across France. When we get to Turin, the Italian authorities will take over. You'll work with them. Sure. At every stop past the Italian frontier, somebody will be posted to see that the train goes through. As soon as it leaves one station, the next one is wired to watch for it. If there's any delay, both stations on either side of this train. Follow me? Yeah.
5: Both stations send their men in to locate the train and find out if anything's wrong. That's it.
2: Hmm. When and if the stuff gets loaded in the express cars, I'll wire you the exact numbers. Oh, will you be riding the train? Yeah. Look, you can do something for me. All right, shoot. Sure. Go out and buy me three neckties and a couple of cheap hats. Maybe um, an extra shirt and some dark brown hair dye.
5: What are you going to do? Disguise yourself?
2: Uh Uh-huh. I've got a shadow to lose. Oh, you're
5: kidding. I thought that stuff went out with Pinkerton.
2: (laughs) Be surprised what a quick change of necktie and a limp can do. All right.
5: I'll go out the back way.
2: Good idea. Make sure you're not being tailed. Oh, and Burns. Yeah? A couple of sandwiches and some wine. I'm famished. Hmm. Funny how people do a take when you tell them that the art of disguise is still very much in the operator's book. Maybe it's because they think a disguise means a Robin Hood costume or something. Hmm. I waited in Byrne's office till about nine o'clock. Then I slipped out the back way and lost my shadow forever. An hour later, I was on a plane taking me to Le Havre in France. I was at the dock three days later when the freighter Empire scraped into her berth minute the gangplank was down, I went aboard. Captain Billiam?
7: Rough trip, sonny, rough trip. What do you want? Ride home, I suppose. Got stranded in Paris, or was it Monte Carlo? Uh, nothing like that, sir. This is the workhouse, not a kindergarten for homesick Americans. Take a look at these credentials, please. I cash no checks, and I give no rides on credit. Richard Brooks, special agent, federal... Well, why don't you say so?
2: You're carrying a shipment of food packages for transfer to Rome? That's what my manifest says. I'd like to see them, please. They're down in the hold. Can I go down and take a look, Captain? It's very urgent. All right, come on.
7: But it ain't orthodox, and I'm defying the shipping laws of a foreign country. Ah, quite a ship, sir. Elevator service. Yeah, it makes you sick to see how they've mechanized everything. Know what the most useless thing aboard this ship is now? What's sir? A captain. This way. Got lost down here once. Couldn't find my way back to the bridge for three days.
2: <laughs> well, here they are. Well, this seems heavy enough. I'll have to open one of these, Captain. If there's any complaints, I'll send them to Washington. Here, meat, sugar, cheese, chocolate. What'd you expect, Wild Duck? I'd contacted the French authorities when I first got into La Havre. I gave them a photograph of Paroli and asked them to be on the lookout for him. They made a thorough check, but he was nowhere to be found. I wasn't taking any chances, though, and while the parcels were being taken out of the hold, I stood by myself to see that they weren't being tampered with. And when the two express cars were consigned to Italy, were loaded and sealed, I telephoned Alan Burns in Rome. It was 2 a.m. when I got through to him. Hello? That you, Burns?
5: A little sleepy, but it's me. I've been waiting up all night for you to call.
2: Any special reason?
5: Nobody's heard from you. Your office contacted me for information.
2: Uh, Tell him I've been busy.
5: Everything all right at your end?
2: So far. Any sign of Paroli?
5: No. Police been looking for him since you left. No trace of him.
2: I thought he'd show up here, but he hasn't. it has got me worried.
5: Yeah, maybe he's scared off.
2: That wouldn't do us much good. I hope not.
5: Hey, you sound kind of funny. You sure everything's all right?
2: Yeah, I'm just tired. Haven't slept for quite a few days. You all ready at your end? We're ready. Here's the number of the two cars. You got a pencil? Yeah. Both of them are riding next to the engine. I get these numbers. All right. 1 789. You got it? Yep. And 724481. 724481,
5: right? When are they pulling out? In about an hour. I'll be seeing him.
2: Yeah. I had almost an hour to kill before train time. My eyes began closing, so I slipped into a booth in the little restaurant for some of the stuff they call coffee in France. I guess I must have dozed off, because all of a sudden I found myself being tapped on the shoulder. He was a little Frenchman with a bristling mustache and an officious-looking bowler hat. Uh, Monsieur Brooks, wake up. I'm awake. What is it? I have a message for you. Who are you? I'm with the other police, a detective. You look it. Uh, Pardon? Uh, skip it. What's the message? Uh, the commissioner wishes to see you immediately. He has your man in custody, uh, Pietro Paroli. In custody? Where? I, I can't leave the station. Tell him to hold him. He says you must come. I tell you, I can't leave the station. Uh, he is only outside in the car. Well, then tell him to come in here. Uh, he will not do that. He is personally guarding him. You say he's in front? Oui, monsieur. Oh, I don't know. Well, perhaps you would like to see my credentials? Well, that might help some. Henri Laboussière, detective, oui. I salute you, Monsieur Laboussière. Let's go. Uh, the commissioner is very proud that we have found Monsieur Paroli. Right this way. I thought you said it was right in front. A few steps, that is all. Well, that's no police car. Uh, wait! No, you don't. Uh, monsieur, come in! I felt the hot zing of metal in my arm and then I went down. They took me inside and stretched me out on the floor and tried to make something big out of it, but... I knew a flesh wound when I felt one, so I got some gauze antiseptic and did a first aid job on myself. The train was ready to pull out, and I got into my compartment and sat down. After that, I fell into a kind of sleep. I didn't know if it were hours or days later when the man came into my compartment. I didn't know who he was at first.
4: Signore Brooks would perhaps like some company?
2: Parole? Si, signore.
4: Even though we have never met. Pietro Parole. You have a good head for photographs, no?
2: What are you doing here?
4: Oh, perhaps one needs an American permit to travel on a European train. Hey, you hurt your arm?
2: Some of your friends took a shot at me.
4: My friends do not miss. These did. I will not quarrel with you. You are tired. You go back to sleep. Where are we now? We have passed Turin. In Italy. See. You've had a long rest.
2: Yeah.
4: I thought you'd be a more formidable opponent, Senor Brooks. Where is the American thoroughness and preparation we hear so much about? Only one man. And a tired, the sick one, to prevent an operation that is so important to each of us.
2: Uh, we're ready for you.
4: Oh, come, come. Such a melodrama from so intelligent a man. I am a realist. You are a realist. You have lost, I have won, that's all. You must be realistic. There are international courts... True, senor. But dead men do not testify. And by the time we reach Rome, you will have completely disappeared. I've only been waiting until the train arrived on Italian soil.
2: The good Signor meant it. Of that I had not the slightest doubt. I'd seen his type before in the war crime trials in Nuremberg. Completely rational-appearing beings who kill because of necessity. Coldly, calculatedly, and sometimes with a certain good humor. My only hope was that the operation I'd set up would work. I don't know how many hours had passed since we passed the frontier, but through the window I could see the threads of day in the sky. Where are we now? I can't see any town.
4: Probably, because there is none.
2: What's happening? The engine's pulling away.
4: It will be back soon. Merely have to remove two cars for a siding. Three hours, four hours at the most, yet the work will be done.
2: Right, let me out of here.
4: Sit down, you fool. What can you do out there?
2: I'm going anyways.
4: This gun says you are not...
2: The door is locked.
4: Of course, and I have the key. <laughs> Come and take it from me. You win. That's right, I win. Now you sit down.
2: The hours dragged by painfully, slowly. Paroli kept his gun on me. A cold mockery in his eyes. One hour, two hours, twenty minutes. Then, Then I heard the muffled sound of running feet alongside the car. And I knew hope again
8: hey, What is all the
2: noise about? Italian police Lots of them Impossible
8: Go on
4: Take a look out the window Hey, I'm afraid you're right I have underestimated you
2: That's a bad habit some of you commies have
4: A temporary setback Perhaps i better leave We will resume our association some other day You and my brooks Break in the door That won't be
2: necessary
4: Here is the case, senor And my gun
2: I told you, I'm a realist. See, a realist. I know another name for it. Yes, Paroli was a realist. He submitted with philosophical resignation. And realistically, the Italian government is making sure that he stays out of circulation for a long time. Well, this story started out with a little girl and it ended in very much the same way. Only this time I was bringing Maria and her mother the biggest food package I was able to get my hands on.
6: Signor, boyfriend. Hello, Maria. Senor Brooks, you come back. Yep. After all the things we say.
2: Oh, you couldn't help it, Mama. Here's something for you. Look. Oh,
6: a buckle.
3: A food <laughs> Meat and and cheese oh, zucchero chocolate e, e burre oh. and? and bubble gum.
2: <laughs> now my dear sweetheart Maria.
3: Oh senor, I'm going to marry you.
2: This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The case of the stolen food parcels closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we'll tell you a story involving an internationally famous painting and an infamous crime in the file case entitled Stolen Masterpiece, another venture undertaken for our protection by... The
1: Silent Men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. The file case, Food and War, was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in our cast were Paul Fries, Fritz Feld, Alma Lawton, Ben Wright, Ralph Moody, and Joan Ray. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men.
5: As individuals, we can't solve all the problems of international strife and tension. But as individuals, we can declare ourselves on the side of friendship and goodwill. The best way to express your goodwill is through CARE, C-A-R-E, the non-profit international organization that delivers food and clothing packages to the needy in other lands. CARE is the most efficient and economical way to send food and clothing abroad on a person-to-person basis. Delivery is guaranteed, and you can send more dollar for dollar than in any other way. Just send $10 to Care New York, or only 5 dollars half for the new thrift package. Give your name and address, and the name and address of the person who is to receive your package. If you don't know of anyone you'd like to help personally, Care will select a deserving family for you. Follow the campaign of the next president on NBC.
0: Welcome back. A very interesting episode. I did find the plot to be uh, plausible. Sometimes some of the Cold War plots go over the top, but this one I think made fairly good sense. In this case, the criminal was essentially acting as a uh, quasi-20th century privateer for the Soviets, with no more ideological fealty to the communists than he had to the Nazis. If he steals the food, he's able to sell it on the black market, and at the same time, it hurts the Americans from a propaganda perspective. Now, of course, it was interesting to hear a commercial for care, or I should say a PSA for care after the episode. I guess that was, you know, on point. Uh, CARE was originally the Cooperative for American Remittances to Europe. Uh, You know, that's what it stood for. Uh, CARE's now just kind of become, you know, a lot more generic, we'll say it, but that was what it meant originally. Uh, What was actually in the package was a pound of beef in broth a pound of steak and kidneys, eight ounces of liver loaf, eight ounces of corned beef, 12 ounces of uh, luncheon loaf, something like Spam, Uh, eight ounces of bacon, two pounds of margarine, one pound of lard, one pound of fruit uh, preserves, uh, one pound of honey, one pound of raisins, one pound of chocolate, uh, two pounds of sugar, eight ounces of powdered eggs, And uh, two pounds of whole milk powder and two uh, pounds of coffee. And there is a picture of what a care package looks like online. And it kind of looks like a, um, you know, a modest week of shopping for, you know, a single or maybe a, a, uh, a thrifty couple at the grocery store. But this was bottle supply. Uh, to keep uh, people alive and healthy and so with that scarcity those things would be of great value uh, on the black market don't know if this was still the case you know in 1952 you know nearly seven years after the war though that they were still you know running the care program for Europe kind of suggests you know there were still some challenges and just because the story was made in 1952 doesn't mean the incident that was based on happened in 1952 it could have happened you know, a year or two earlier in reality. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Chris, Patreon supporter since June of 2015, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Chris. And that will actually uh, do it for today. I do want to encourage you if you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. Join us over at videotheater.greatdetectives.net. Tomorrow, as we'll be bringing you uh, an episode of Man Behind the Badge. And then on Monday, back to Casey Crime Photographer. And uh, we'll be back next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook. com slash Detectives.